Welcome to a new episode of the Shakespeare series brought to you by My Entertainment World. So today we are talking about Titus Andronicus, and my guest is Shailen Bass McFall, who has played Tamara in uh, Titus Andronicus and also appears as Tamara in the Corona Cold Reads version of Titus Andronicus, where she was absolutely wonderful. Um, she worked opposite uh, Andre Sills as Aaron, and uh, Christopher Prentice was uh, Titus, and she was just splendid. Um, so Shailen's one of my very favorite actresses, and she's also specifically a particularly great Shakespeare actress. Um, so it was really fun to talk to her about this uh, very dark, very weird play. Um, Titus is... Uh, interesting because it is considered a very flawed play. And I think that's actually its secret to its success. Um, it's an, an early tragedy for Shakespeare. And a lot of people think of it as a sort of crude revenge tragedy. Uh, that is a sort of form he then um, clarified and uh, made more sophisticated by the time he got to Hamlet late in his career. Uh, but I actually disagree. I actually think it's just a totally different play. I don't think it is... Um, sort of like an early attempt at a type. I think it is a, a standalone attempt at a type. Um, it's really gruesome. It's really intense. Uh, and I think it's a black comedy, I think is the best interpretation of Titus. Certainly most of the good productions I've seen, I've seen many Tituses. Um, I think that most of the best ones have been kind of oddly funny in a weird way that sort of is a bit of a, when you can no longer cry, all you can do is laugh kind of thing. Um, it's almost, they're, they're almost sort of, it's like the Quentin Tarantino version of Shakespeare, um, where it's just, it's absolutely gruesome and it's so hard to wrap your head around. And the only way to do it is to sort of distance yourself um, with that kind of absurdity. Um, I also think that the fact that it's flawed, it's it's very imperfect piece. It's very rough around the edges. I think actually the, I think it, it has contributed to its success. I said that I've seen it many, many times and that's true. And I think it's, it's because a lot of directors, especially a lot of contemporary sort of cool directors think that Shakespeare is boring because it's been done so much. Um, they think it's limited and they're like, ah, oh, we should be doing other playwrights. And it's true. We should be, we should be producing other playwrights, but I think there's still value in Shakespeare. And one of the reasons is that it, it's open for interpretation. You can change it and do it over and over and over again. And that idea of excavation and interpretation and there being value in finding something different and doing something different. Um, I think is a really important element of Shakespeare. And it comes out in Titus Andronicus because there's something that, that appeals to it for directors, this idea of its brokenness. Um, I think they're more free to mess with it, pull it off its pedestal, change it, cut it, do weird, wacky ideas with it and really express themselves and really interpret. And there's, I think it's actually a flaw of something like Hamlet that it's considered so perfect and it's up on this big pedestal. And oftentimes you see it produced very, very similarly over and over and over again, because there's this sort of consensus idea of what it's supposed to be. And there is not that idea with Titus. There's this idea of it is it is in itself not what it's supposed to be. It is somehow incomplete. And thus I as a director must bring something to it to complete it. And that often results in more interesting productions and in practice somehow results in more productions at all. Like just more people take it on in a really artistic way. Um, obviously not in a super commercial way. The big You'll see the big festivals will do things like Hamlet more often for the fans. Um, but in terms of like the artsy fartsy people, they will certainly gravitate towards Titus and do interesting things. And, and I've seen more good Tituses than almost any other Shakespeare show. And it's because the big swing, I really appreciate the big swing. And that's something that comes through 
with Titus more than anything else, I think. Um, so it's a, it's a pretty dark play. Um, it is, uh, it's sort of hard to explain the plot and you will hear, um, we, we will do a little bit of that for you at the beginning of the episode. So I think I'm just going to let you dive right into, um, my conversation with Shaylin about Titus Andronicus. Enjoy. I mean, segue from death. So. I mean, why not? Right. Perfect segue. Um, so I always start with Wikipedia has these like little short paragraphs at the top of every Shakespeare entry where they very superficially synopsize the play. And I like to start with those and then get your, your opinion on whether you think that really captures what happens in this play. Um, so Titus Andronicus, it says the play is set during the latter days of the Roman empire and tells the story of Titus, a fictional general in the Roman army who's engaged in a cycle of revenge with Tamara, queen of the Goths. It is Shakespeare's bloodiest and most violent work. It has traditionally been one of his least respected plays. That sounds pretty accurate. Yeah. So, um, let's start with your history with Shakespeare and this play specifically and why you wanted to talk about Titus. Oh, I, uh, I've grown up definitely as a Shakespeare nerd and did a whole lot of reading of the text of my own volition outside of any encouragement along with trying to see it whenever I could. But I didn't get to start performing it until later, uh, particularly because I was in an area that had kind of one uh, company that did all the Shakespeare and if you didn't work with them, you didn't do the Shakespeare. So as soon as I moved out to Toronto, I started getting opportunities to perform Shakespeare, which I was very grateful for because, again, nerd. Uh, So I've gotten to work with a few different companies around town doing that. And uh, Titus was definitely on my wish list, specifically to play Tamara. So I was very happy when I got to do that a a couple of years ago now, I guess it's been in the span of time that has no sense of time right now. I think it was two years ago. Uh, Tamara is a a beast in terms of women in the Shakespeare canon and so was definitely high up on my list of ones that I wanted to get a chance to look through the eyes of. Um, So I wanted to talk a little bit about Tamara's role in the text um, and also in the larger canon. Um, you're right that she is one of Shakespeare's like sort of greatest women. She talks a, one of the most, she's some of the most um, agency within her text. Um, and the easiest way, the easiest comparison is probably to Lady M. Um, and then also you've got Regan and Goneril. Like these are all his sort of most powerful women for the most part, certainly in tragedies. And I'm interested in this idea of like, they're all villains um, and where, how do we reconcile that tension of in order to play his sort of, great, powerful women, they all, for the most part, obviously you can sort of read into, you can talk about the the comedy heroines, you can maybe talk about Isabella, but for the most part, like, his great women are bad guys. Which is fascinating, both on a, a theoretical level, but especially as an actor, because I've come to really love the villains. And Shakespeare is an exaggerated example of this, but I feel like so often they are the ones with the most agency and the clearest character drive presented to you. And so that's one of the like juicy things that you get to enjoy as an actor in it. But why, why his most powerful women are the villains? 
that's a big question kind of surrounding his biography more so than anything. But Titus is perhaps the most extreme example of that even. We do think of Lady M so much as the the height of that archetype of the villain for women. But in Titus, there are two female characters and they are each one of the virgin and whore archetype. Like they are each one extreme full out. And so as opposed to in others where you, you know, Lady Anne, you haven't, you've got other female characters in that play, but you don't have them set up as these absolute opposites with her. And even, even within Lear, even within the sisters, yes, there's that, but it's not that same kind of, you either get this or that. It feels like he really leaned in extra hard on that for these two ladies. So do you feel like, so one of the criticisms you often hear about Titus is that it is modeled after the sort of simplistic revenge tragedies. Do you feel like Tamara within that archetype of the sort of like villainous whore, do you find that she is fleshed out in the text or is that something the actress has to really bring to the role to find all of the layers to make her a person and not just a type? I think there's a lot provided in there for her. I mean, I don't feel like it's it's hard to dig in within what you see in the text and go, okay, this woman just had her son murdered in front of her. Okay, she's been in war and who knows what that life was before, but we can make some educated guesses around that. We see so much of how she seems to be, you know, the, the other kind of format that people often look at a villainous woman in is the thought of, oh, she's playing the system. She's playing the cards she's dealt. And she is. She's, she's dealt some bad cards in this, and she figures out how to do everything with them. And there's a lot of opportunity to see layers of what she really wants what she wishes she had versus what she does have. And I think some of that is evident in her relationship with Aaron as well. Do you feel like um, a lot of the atrocities she commits are um, natural extensions of the things that are done to her and necessary steps for her self-preservation and the preservation of her family? Or is there a sort of cruelty that is central to her? I think both. There is cruelty that's central to her. I, I think she's very broken. Um, I think she's been broken, but she acts out of that pain and actively seeks to harm others and take them down with her. Um, but there's also so much that goes on the way that you see it spiral from act one, scene one. <laughs> like So much happens in that very first moment that the world is just, it spirals so quickly because how can it not once all of that happens within this little microcosm of a moment? So she is, she is reactionary, but she's very, that doesn't remove how proactive she is in trying to seek that out. And I think she's just so hurt that she wants to see other people hurt with her. Um. 
And you mentioned Aaron. So to step outside of specifically the Tamara experience for a couple minutes, um, how do you feel about Aaron and his depiction of he is sort of the best example, the only true example in Shakespeare's canon of the Moor as the villain of the play, but he's often, maybe not often, I mean, he's sometimes played as the most sympathetic character in the play in a way, um, when played in a modern context. So how do you feel about Aaron and the play's um, treatment of race? And is it a problematic play? Or is it the sort of thing that when directed thoughtfully, um, there's enough justification behind and enough humanization behind Aaron's motivations that it's not just, oh, look at the like big black villain. I think that it is, uh, if directed properly, it's, it needs to be respectful and viewed properly. But I think that there is, uh, there's a lot of similarities for Tamara and Aaron, I think, in terms of them being harmed so much throughout life and given these really difficult circumstances and like any human who goes through a considerable amount of trauma has the potential to then inflict trauma on others um whether it was written specifically as oh look this is only these humans that act this way and we won't think that others do or that that's the totality of who he is as a person. No, I think that there is good reason why we see see his love of his child at the end, see his strong impulse to I think there's a there's in addition to the kind of parental love image, there's also I think tinges of how much his race has been suppressed and tried to be erased and tried to be pushed into this corner. And the idea that his child, his offspring is part of that line that he wants to see thrive, that he wants to see have a better life, that he wants to see not experience what he did. So I think that there is the potential for a lot to see who this human being is and it, it doesn't need to be, and it shouldn't be, um, written off as just trying to corner him as the as the more caricature so obviously one of the other really tricky things uh to navigate when you're directing it in present day is it is just rife with both violence and specifically sexual violence Mm -hmm. how do we reconcile that and um are does the play glorify it or is there a way to to make those horrors come through in a cautionary way yeah uh I think it does glorify it. I don't think it glorifies it any more than contemporary cinema does, realistically. I, not to say that it, I condone glorifying that, but I also don't think that it is more than what we get in so much now. But are you saying that because we underestimate how much there is in modern cinema? I think we do underestimate how much there is in modern cinema, and I think we... Uh, we have this idea of because this text was so from so long ago and we have these ideas of the religious and moral system in place in the world in which he was writing that we assume that that wasn't seen as much. But really, they were incredibly violent culture. And yes, this seems to be, I mean, I've heard varying kind of takes on it, but it seems to be that it was written based on the very, very popular genre of revenge tragedies at that time, but also 
some people say that maybe he was poking fun at it, that he was critiquing it, that he was doing some kind of play on it, which I kind of lean towards that. Uh, and because of that, I think that there is, there's something about tragedy in general. The catharsis is, I think, an important part of the human experience and learning experience and emotional education. Sexual violence being glorified in this, it is, but it's also, it's so dependent on how it gets treated in the production. It really, it really can go in either direction in terms of just horrifying you or feeling like this kind of buzz that people get sometimes when they watch, you know, a story of a serial killer and you're kind of almost rooting for them to be successful at what they're doing. Mm -hmm. So based on what you just said, I almost, it sounds as if you are one of the proponents of Titus is a dark comedy. Kind of think it is. Yeah. Can you expand on that a little? There's some, he always has comedy within his tragedy. So that's always present. But I do think that there's, there's elements of feeling like he's playing at the absurd. Like he's, he does feel like he's poking, poking fun at and uh, pointing out errors of his own society in it, in a, in a mocking way. And I think that while that's extremely dark version of that comedy, I do think that there is that sense that this isn't a straight up serious, literal story without that sense of, oh, you're just as bad. You as a society are just as bad as this. But then the actual beats of the story are quite tragic and really dark. Um, and even some of the, obviously some of the big speeches, you know, Mar- Marcus's big speech when he finds Lavinia are really genuinely, really sad. So what are some of the ways that a director can convey that um, while playing out really serious things, oh, this is actually a commentary on the society that the audience might not necessarily know that much about. Hmm. Well, I am not a director. I do not pretend to be a director. Uh, I'm, I think certainly some of the moments that stand out to me as being really comically weird are some of the sharp turns that happen, especially at the start, especially during that that act one, scene one, masterpiece of mayhem. <laughs> uh, there's a lot that's in there that I think both is the sharp turns between tragic and comedic and weird. And also because it's right at the start setting up everything, I think that establishes the tone that you're taking from there on out. But there's ridiculous things in there. Like when when the mother and sons dress up as... <laughs> like, <laughs> It's bizarre. <laughs> All of these characters, it's very, very weird. And it's hard to take that as really serious moments. Right. So if there is a lot of, um, I, I definitely am a fan of the, uh, the Julie Taymor production because I feel like that one does lean into the absurdity of a lot of it. And I think yeah. that really is there. Well, and I think it comes down to there's that scene where Titus is laughing and he's and everyone's like, well, why are you laughing? He's like, because I don't have any tears left. Like all there is left to do is just laugh at the utter absurdity of what's going on around me. 
Um, and so like at a certain point, like the, the pie thing at the end is just like so over the top horrifying. He comes out dressed as a chef. It says <laughs> that he comes out dressed as a chef. It's, it's absurd. So it does, it plays back and forth between these heart wrenching, tragic moments and this absolute, what is going on kind of reaction that you get to so many of the pieces in there. Mm-hmm. And perhaps because perhaps because of the play itself, or perhaps because of the revenge uh, revenge play model that it was going off of, which you said earlier is very was very popular at the time. When Titus came out, it was a huge hit, and then for hundreds of years, it was considered terrible, and like scholars just like crapped on it all the time and only in the last sort of half century even more recently than that has it had started to have a theatrical resurgence why is it so popular as um something to perform now and do you think that those criticisms stand up still I think a lot of those criticisms don't stand up and I'd think that a good portion of them come out of the kind of Victorian sensibility that caused them to censor a lot of Shakespeare during that time and lean more so on the ones that we've come to consider the the kind of core pieces that everybody knows. I I don't think we would be so familiar with those ones specifically and less so with others in the canon if it weren't for a lot of those actions of saying women women can't do that on stage. And I think Tamara is an example of that. And then seeing the sexual violence against Lavinia, I think that is part of what they did not want to see at that time. So I don't think it's necessarily that why is it so popular now? I think it's they've finally kind of worked their way out of that history of assuming that it was no good because for Victorian time, they said no good. Right. I do think there's also something about those famous plays that you talked about um, that were sort of approved of plays that became the center of the canon. Um, I think they've, they've been up on this pedestal for so long and they've been produced so many times that a lot of directors sort of approach them as untouchable. Like I very rarely see a good production of Hamlet because they tend to be very standardized because directors don't fuck with it really because they think it's so good. Um, and one of the, there's almost something freeing about the idea of um, a broken text. I've heard, I have a lot of friends who are directors who talk about looking for broken plays that they can put together, put back together in interesting ways. Um, so I think that there's a freedom that comes with, Titus or something that's a little less popular, a little less respected, if you will, um, to really take like big swings. Um, So on that note, what are some of the most successful or most interesting um, interpretations of the text that you've seen? And do any stand out particularly for you? Oh, I wish that I'd seen more productions of it, but I have not seen nearly enough. I've seen... mm, two other productions than the one that I got to do and then the film version. And I have not gotten to see it performed that often. Cause again, it's not considered one of the most popular ones. Um, again, I do, I do really enjoy when they lean into the absurdity of it. Uh, I think really interesting things can be done with it. I think you can also, like anything, have the potential to go overboard <laughs> and and go off on a bit of a tangent, but there's a lot there to play with. 
So I feel like the key elements that I've enjoyed most was when they leaned into that absurdity, but they didn't try to add too many more layers to it because there's so much going on. Um, I really want to see more productions in terms of the things I want to know what people do is I want to see the different ways that they tackle the violence or the bloodshed specifically. Uh, I've seen snippets and read about other productions that were very, um, they took a, a very interpretive uh, take on it, like using fabric. Uh, the the one that we did, there was, uh, I think it was glitter at one point in place oh, of God. the blood. So, so there's different ways that I've heard people kind of tackle that. And then, of course, there's talk of when people go full out chainsaw max massacre style <laughs> blood packs everywhere. Um, I don't know that I'd be able to handle that. I haven't seen a production that did that, that went truly, literally physically accurate. Uh, and I, I don't know that I would be able to handle that. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because sometimes I find actors or people who work a lot in theater have such a technical understanding of like, it's chocolate syrup, like that <laughs> separation is in their brain, so it doesn't really affect them. But there is something so visceral about not cleaning up the blood. I always think of Stratford yeah. did it in like, I want to say 2011. And they, one of the things they did was they cleaned up, like they didn't have blood anywhere. And if there was blood, it, they cleaned it up immediately going into the next scene. Lavinia was like fully wrapped and clean and like pristine the whole time after her big scene. And so like, it was a very clean production that to me, that's like, was a commentary on the way a, a violent society continues to cope and continues to like cover up um, atrocities. But I've never, I've never seen somebody let it um, add up as if like, I don't know if you could really just logistically the, the dangers of having pools of blood on stage <laughs> and the risk of, true, true. I'm, it, it, you know, additional injuries beyond what is in the story. So I don't know if you can really get away with doing that, but that is a curious thing to what kind of impact it would have to see the buildup of it, to see, even if it wasn't uh, a blood syrup that you were using in the production, even if it was something representative cloth, anything else, if it was a matter that that got left on the stage to see that build up, that would be very interesting. Well, and that so says something about the text too, the idea that like there's so much bloodshed in this play that it's impossible to represent, to actually show how much. Like you have to minimize it somehow for logistical reasons because there's so much of it. Yeah. It's such a fascinating like example of maximalism. Um, are there any particular scenes or, or sections of the text that really stand out to you as important parts or things that you find really interesting? Maybe moments in your Tamara that you interpreted differently than maybe you consider standard or superficial readings? Oh, I don't know if I would give myself any kind of credit over that. <laughs> um, I, I think that there's so much... Uh, so much that I'm intrigued by the Tamara and Aaron relationship, both for good and bad that's in there. But I, 
I feel like there's so much in there that makes me want to know more, know more about their backstories, know more about their relationship. And I feel like there is a lot that gets established in a very short period of time to help you see this as a team. Um, there's also the, the start of the play, I think is really interesting in that it can feel, it can feel like that very first section of all of these political speeches is just a bunch of Shakespeare exposition to get through as he does from time to time. But there's so much in the setup of what they're fighting for, what their assumptions of who they are and how society should work for them that I, I think is really important. And I think that's kind of the crux of where the story goes from there on out in terms of where I see it as a critique on society. Okay, so I always end these on the same question. So before we get to that, is there anything else you want to say about Titus Andronicus? Um, I guess on, on that note of it being this society, I feel like it is a play that what I like about it, it feels like it is a mirror that he's holding up to society where you have this war. It starts at the end of a war. Things should be good now. Things should be post-war peace. We're in a dignified society where there is religion and order and honor and everything about that assumption, self-assumption of Romans to believe who they are and what they are and how they're superior is just torn apart by them comparing themselves to the Goths and saying that they're the heathens, the Moors are the heathens, these are the horrible people who do bad things. But you see that the Romans do just as much and through their, I, I think one of the interesting lines at the very end of, um, of Tamara's son being murdered at the start, she says, oh, cruel, irreligious piety. And they've set up this whole premise that it is for the sake of religion that they have to spill her son's blood. It is for the sake of peace and order and honor that they have to do all of these things. And it is so dishonorable and it is so irreligious and everything about what they're doing is the opposite of what they're saying they're doing. So when Titus breaks down over the course of the play and you see that he has got every fault that he has tried to label as just being other people, I'm, I think it is an important examination to sometimes sit through a dark play like that that's hard to sit through and look at things and go, what are the ways in which we are not what we think we are or want to tell ourselves that we are? So um, at the beginning, I did a little rundown of what happens in Titus, like what the story is. Um, but at the end of the day, what is Titus Andronicus about? I think it's about hypocrisy. I think it is about delusional hypocrisy and examining your, your culture's identity and guilt. Okay. Sounds about right to me. All right. Thanks, Shay. 
So that's our episode for today. Thank you so much for joining us. Be sure to search My Entertainment World in your podcast catcher to get the entire Shakespeare series as we work our way towards all 38 plays. In the meantime, follow us on Twitter, Instagram, all that jazz. MyEntertainmentWorld.ca is the website. Thank you so much for tuning in. I'll see you next time.